I need to be able to deal with difference and conflict. So, and I need to be able to, you know, I use this phrase, am I above the line or am I below the line? So if I'm below the line, I'm triggered, I'm probably going to be aggressive, I'm probably going to have a tone that doesn't work for the other party. Whereas if I'm above the line in the interface conversation, I can see the other person, I can see that what we do causes them a problem. I'm actually interested in stopping that problem and I know I'm responsible for it. So that shakes up the dynamics because people aren't used to people in a you know, work context caring for each other in that sort of way. Welcome to the Manage Self Lead Others Leadership Podcast with Nina Sunday for experienced and aspiring people managers. This show will help you explore ways to become a more intentional leader. Each episode, host Nina Sunday speaks with some of the brightest business minds on the planet who share a passion to elevate and transform team culture. Workplace culture hides in plain sight. Is yours flourishing? Join the movement to make your workplace a better place to work. Are you ready? Because it's time to manage self, lead others. My guest this conversation is an economist and chair of the board of the Dyson Group of Companies in Victoria, Australia. The Dyson Group is a past client of mine where I delivered customer service training a little while back. Co-author of From Me to We, Design and Build Collaborative Workplaces, Stephen Hanman is known as the Trust Whisperer, facilitates teams to create a high-trust culture. Stephen Hanman's work is focused on collaborative, high-performance workplaces that consciously build people's capability. He's involved with Two Hands, an Australian startup, changing how people connect with food, whose mission it is to restore trust and closeness between fishers, farmers, chefs and consumers. With expertise in developing collaborative supply chain relationships, welcome Stephen Hanman. Thank you, Nina. How can we move people from a competitive uh, operating model to a collaborative one? Step one is to own where you are on the continuum between competition and and collaboration. And so I'm a very competitive person, but I've learned when that works and when that doesn't work in my life. And so my starting point is to know yourself, to be able to say, I'm very competitive. There are times where that causes me problem. Uh, What can I do as an alternative to that? And how can I learn more collaborative skills so I can apply the right degree of collaboration or competition to the situation that presents? And so that demands that I know myself as a starting point. Now, it's not something that happens just because the managers decide it's going to happen from day one. You actually have to create a learning opportunity that gets people on board, that wins their hearts and minds. Is that right? Absolutely. So... Um, as you may have noticed in the book, that we used what's called a red-blue simulation, which I think is a very significant tool because it really shakes people up because they can't work out what the outcome should be because what it demands is that they unravel their competitive spirit, which they find very difficult when I ask them to win. Because winning means we all win rather than one company, one person. So it's a bit like there's three departments in one company and we want all those departments to win and be able to trade off who should do what to whom to get the maximum outcome for the company. But unless I can work 
collaboratively, I can't ever turn off my competitive juice and everyone ends up being worse off. So it is quite a journey for people to become aware of their own competitive natures. Yes, and it's interesting because I played this game in March. It wasn't called Red Blue, it was called XY. And the the two of us wanted to play the let's do the, the move that everybody if everybody else does it, then um then we'll all win. But there were we found that we were the losers because yep. people didn't pick up on the fact that yep. we were trying to be, see the big picture. But anyway, I won't give away the secrets of the game. <laughs> There's a game where if you're playing to be collaborative and you're dealing with, well, aggressive people that refuse, yep. that they're competitive, it's really hard to get people on board. So when yep. organisations decide to go collaborative, well, number one, do you have to recruit people on the basis of their collaborative DNA? Um, look, you probably need to have a a group of so you know. I have a client with a I have a client where the leader, the head head of the area, is collaborative. He doesn't quite know what it means sometimes, so I've needed to assist him in that process. But because right. we're in an open dialogue all the time and because part of my work is around wholeness, you know, so I try and nurture the humanity in the individual and the humanity in the organisation, those aha moments can be profound because people realise that that's got them into trouble in their lives, um, whether it's personal yes. and professional. So... And look, and once they do get it, they don't all change because it depends on the culture of the organisation. If if the culture nurtures the collaborative act, then those people tend to become aware of their competitive spirits and where it's a negative. Um, but that doesn't mean that everyone makes the, the transition. But to be a successfully collaborative um, approach needs a majority of people. So, you know, I always dream about imagine the day when everybody's collaborative and someone's competitive inappropriately and everyone says to them, what are you doing? That's not how we play here. <laughs> exactly. And that's accountability yeah. and that's peer accountability and that yeah. is the holy grail yeah. of, uh, of team trust. Absolutely. I do, I do. Where you don't attack them and you don't criticise them, you just make the observation. You know, I'm running a program at the moment called Safe Care Culture, which is just uh, another way of saying me, we. And I say to the client, I know this sounds bizarre, but this is utopic. Everybody wins in this environment and there is no loser. You know, so it is a very unusual environment where each individual person wins, the team wins, the organisation wins, the people who work with the organisation win. There's a sharing and an openness and a transparency around the process. So it is, you know, and it, look, I've... Um, you'd call it idealistic, but we know in the last 15 to 20 years, there's been a massive change in the questioning, the dominator hierarchy thinking process and more collaborative approaches, because we can see it in all walks of life, from climate change to, um, you know, collaborative tools that now technology is enabling. You know, as I said, we're operating in a monetized blockchain in an end-to-end -end global supply chain in, in a project I'm doing. So it yeah. is... Yes. We've never had the systems or processes to be collaborative. Now we do. So then we have a choice about whether my attitude's right to be collaborative. Yes, yes. That's so all about attitude. 
Um, I just want to remind listeners that we've got uh, a, a, a guest called Rod Collins, who I had mm. twice on previously, which is he's a former CEO who set up collaborative um, workplaces. And uh, I think if you look for the episode, Nobody is Smarter Than Everybody, yeah. and his book is coming out soon. And also uh, all of Dan Silverberg's episodes are really to do with, you know, how to how to lead with heart and with collaboration. Yeah. So that's why your book, Me, We, is close to my heart because it's, it's describing an actual process. Now, you, you do start with... First step is really to interview the senior leaders, so you have to get them on board. Is that right? Yeah. Look, you need to you need to be clear that everybody understands what we're trying to do. Because when you know, let's be honest, if I come from a world of competition and I'm espousing a collaborative approach, there will be many of those highly intelligent, educated people who will say that can't happen because they've never experienced it, because they don't trust people. So that's why in the simulation, I can then, when they stop trusting each other, I say, well, that was the end of the game because you all decided that you couldn't trust anybody else doing the right thing. And that's that's really the crux of the whole thing. That So I set up systems whereby we can create a system where we can, you know, so we talk about, creating trust, building care, and having courage to have real conversations. So those three things are, if those three things are happening, they build on themselves and they reinforce the other two items to the point where rather than, you know, I use this contrast that most organisations that are in the dominator system are, they're driven by fear, doubt, or dislike or hatred or broken relationships. Whereas what we did is try and match the opposite of that, which was actually saying certainty, which is trust, then actually being aware that there's a care for people rather than a dislike or a broken relationship and then courage in in challenging the fear. So trust, care, courage meets the opposite of fear, doubt and hatred. In And what I noticed is that something changed in people, which I didn't understand. And that's why I wrote the book, because I knew the project was, it's a five-year project. Um, this was this was in this environment. It was construction industry, which was ruthless, hostile, nasty. Yes. Whereas these these people were all coming to work, loving their jobs, not going home angry. They were changing their lives outside. You know, so one of them was using it for marriage counselling. One of them was coaching their soccer team on this me we approach. And it was always about, well, we've got to take responsibility for ourselves, but also for each other. And we want to build an environment where there's a care factor. Um, and, you know, it had remarkable impact. So I, to be honest, I didn't, I, I believed it would be right and it would work, but I never believed that everyone would do the right thing and the builder would end up charge, you know, his construction costs went down 7% over that five-year period and he didn't do it for money. He did it for relationships. So it was a sort of extraordinary outcome for me, which I had to go back and then research why it works, <laughs> which is yes. now obviously the, a basis of my work and has been, for 10 years, you know, I'm just in the process of doing a, a follow-up edition of the MeWe that incorporates this concept of a safe care culture, you know, and I've I've realised now safe means physical, so I'm working in warehouses, for example, but I'm also working in call centres and organisational environments where psychological safety creates this sort of environment where people are seen and then the best part of people 
um, is what's on display. So creating a, an organisation where people are real with each other, you know, and I, I use this sort of phrase, slow down to speed up. So we need to slow down to make sure that we're in relationship with each other. That relationship allows us to care for each other, which then enables this trust, care, courage to be nurtured. And it's sort of, you know, people ask me, well, why is it so obvious? And I said, well, look, organisations used to be driven. You know, I, I use a rule of thumb that one in 10 people won't like me if I come and present. Okay, so if there's 50 people, yeah. five people won't like me. And I've actually realised that it's not about me. It's about I push their button or something happens. So then I, then I say to people, so if we think about nine people, why don't we design businesses for the nine people engaged and not build a system that brings everybody down to the one who is not engaged. So I have this sort of philosophy that says, let's build business structures for the nine who are gonna do the right thing and bring the one person up, not bring the nine down and make organizations hostile. Oh yeah. Unhealthy, you know, cause it doesn't make, it's not rational to send people home angry. It's not rational. We now know that there's no discretionary effort available if we're not listened to and respected and and um engaged you know so you think about you know that psychological safety that we need to be included we need to contribute we need a learning environment and we need to have candor with each other yes candor radical transparency um avoiding artificial harmony saying you're giving your authentic opinion and also one of the attributes of uh, conversational of, of psychological safety is conversational equality it's when you're leading teams the team leader has to make sure they get asked for everybody's input even if it's a two minute round the table per person so that even the introverts and the 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 quiet ones who could be deep thinkers get Absolutely. to say their piece uninterrupted so and it's such a simple it's, it's such a simple idea because you know that that idea of we all need to take turns you know, I think it's really humorous but it makes a profound impact because then if you think about psychological safety I need to be to feel safe to be me and yes. so as a as a facilitator all I'm doing is creating the environment for both safety from a physical perspective if you're in a warehouse but also psychological safety in a warehouse that you know this young kid who had a horrible experience at school is scared of the world and he's used to being talked down to when he's not talked down to when we ask him we find out he's actually a really intelligent guy who probably had dyslexia or something and he's got an enormous he, he can make an enormous contribution to the success of the warehouse if he's given the you know what i did customer service training at a golf club once included everybody including the maintenance you know the uh, hospitality and the tea lady it turns out the tea lady was a former company secretary <laughs> who they had completely dismissed as a tea lady right and for all the global listeners that's someone that walks around and serves tea on a trolley to people <laughs> when they supply it she had the best ideas of the entire group her insight was a, a, amazing and i kept saying well you've got a resource here that you could take advantage of, you know, in a, like obviously this yeah. is her retirement part-time job, you know, yeah. but she still had all her, all her marbles, all her insights. So don't dismiss um, people at the coalface because they that's often a, have some wonderful ideas. Uh, and especially if they're young and they've got fresh eyes. Absolutely. You know, I, I asked a, 
there was I, I met a young man in a warehouse last week and he had rainbow colored hair and he had the sleeve of tattoos and I asked him two really simple questions and he answered questions deep from inside him you know and I thought well that's astounding his answers told me that there was wisdom and yeah uh, and yet if you look at him you'd think he's got nothing to offer for him yet he's a beautiful young man <laughs> absolutely absolutely and of course Australia has a whole cohort of people that really love tattoos but uh, those without tattoos sometimes make a judgment about that and we, we shouldn't uh, judge a book Very by true. cover judge Very a book true. by the, how they answer the question <laughs> which leads me to you you have the, you set up the workshop you've got the um, you've got the senior leaders on board they agree to the workshop what's the workshop a day two days yeah it can be a yeah. mix yep and then out of that, you create the steering group. Is that right? Yeah. Because that ties in with Cotter's eight steps, which is step number two, um, build a guiding team. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Look, and they had, you know, and that was a very weird idea because it wasn't just people from the building company. It was the architect, the engineer, the electrical supervisor, the concreter, and um, the principal of the steel company, a woman, and also the plumber. And they provided input in the guidance to the collaborative system. So if they thought that the builder got too um, greedy about taking too much margin, they would say something, you know, so it was a, and then they all acknowledged that, you know, they actually spoke openly about how they were delivering um, the projects in less hours than they budgeted. So they all said they were making more money. So they all started to realise that they were going to now budget less time for these projects because there wasn't that dead time that was in every other project because the right. builder just deals with each trade separately, not all together. So we were having trades giving their IP into the builder because they didn't have to tender. So the builder got all that IP from all the different trades. And then yeah. we together in the steering group designed the build um, and that's what the project manager ended up doing. So he became a coach and mentor rather than, you know, telling everybody what to do and when to do it. So it was quite a red. And, and so the, the steering group had quite a profound impact because everybody knew about them. And they spoke when we, we ran monthly training sessions that the client paid us to do on all range of topics. From yes, you can't, you can't just have one session at the yeah. start. You've got to be checking in. Yeah. Uh, I, this was over a period of five years, is that right? Yeah. So, you know, yeah. and obviously those workshops were more in the first project rather yeah. than, you know, by the time oh, we right. got to the last project, we actually built the project in a workshop environment yes. with all the trades. So, you know, a group of 30 or 40 people. And it was an amazing experience. And that project went so quickly in the build because everybody had created the plan. So it's just another example of involving people, getting them to That's contribute. Right having candor about what works and what doesn't work. And then once they turn off on site, everybody knows what to do because they've already discussed it. And it makes it human-centred as well because yeah. you, it's everybody that is at the cold face um, experiencing uh, not just theoretical. It's like, yeah, they experience what uh, the real world. Dyson's is a major bus company throughout uh, the state of Victoria, yeah, Australia. Yeah. And so as chair of the board, um, have you been able to bring in a more collaborative culture there as well? Because we are part of a value chain, the more I do for you and the more you do for me and the more we're able to give and take, the better we're going to be. And so the outcome, it proves itself multiple times over and it feels great because then we're not competing with each other, we're collaborating and we're actually competing with 
another supply chain in another industry or in, a, or in another competitor. But together, even though we're doing different things, we're together in the same team. So they're quite, you know, they they can actually change a culture. So I, I ran them within Dyson's across all the individual areas that traditionally compete with each other, you know, so service delivery and fleet workshop. And so they, they typically have a tension with each other because, you know, the service delivery people want the bus and the fleet services people want to make sure that the bus is well-maintained and they don't want it breaking down. But, That's right. to, but together, if they're in an interface conversation, they realise they've both got the same objective to maximise the utilisation of the bus. So together we're doing that and we're not, we're not separate from it. I yeah. need to be able to deal with difference and conflict. So, and I need to be able to, you know, I use the phrase, am I above the line or am I below the line? So if I'm below the line, I'm triggered. I'm probably going to be aggressive. I'm probably going to have a tone that doesn't work for the other party. Yes. Whereas if I'm above the line in the interface conversation, I can see the other person. I can see that what we do causes them a problem. I'm actually interested in stopping that problem and I know I'm responsible for it. So that shakes up the dynamics because people aren't used to people in a, in a work context caring for each other in that sort of way. So, and, and where there's care, you know, people don't want to hurt each other. They don't, they don't want to cause problems. They want to actually get it right. And so all we're doing is giving some space to making it better. Um, and then it's executed and then we review it People say, this is great, let's keep doing it. Do you ever find that childhood triggers control the behaviour of some people? Uh, yeah, and obviously you need to be very careful of that. So what I do is, so, I, so you know, I'll, let me give you a bit more example of the above, above and below. Yes, that's a so good in one. A, in, in a warehouse environment, we're creating a safe care culture and safe is physical and psychological. They all write on a mirror when, what are they like in their best self? You know, so this yes. is a brain, this is a brain state. So when I'm in my best self, I'm flourishing, I'm collaborative. When I'm below the line, I feel defensive. I feel like I'm on the attack. I can't listen to people. So they write down when they're at their best self and how they behave. They write down when they're below the line and what they do. And then they do them on mirrors and those mirrors go on the wall and everyone who filled out a mirror has their mirror on the wall. So the whole site can see the distribution manager or the supply chain manager down to the forklift driver. But so it'd be anonymous, wouldn't it? Because it's only a mirror. But it, it doesn't have to be. So some people say, let's put our initials on the mirror. Ooh. So I, so in this, in this environment, the distribution manager has her mirror on her desk. So everyone who walks in, so it's an incredibly open and there's wow. a, an enormous equality amongst the team because everyone says, well, we're all the same. So this, you know, and then and then obviously below the line goes into what your question was about, then it was what, what am I triggered by? And we say our job is not to fix anybody else. Our job is just to be aware of where we are. And if I'm below the line, I'm not going to be productive. I'm not going to be collaborative. I need to find a better way um, to have this conversation. And so we give people that space. And you know, the other the other intervention I use is this print profile, which documents your best self and it also documents your shadow behaviors. Now, once again, just by talking about shadow in a, in a work context is incredibly exciting for me because it's like that's what's real. So I always say, but is it exciting for the people? <laughs> but most of them, 
you know, let's, you know, most people go to work for a large percentage of their lives and most environments are hostile and unhealthy and they go home not as happy as they came. So I have a view that organisations have a responsibility to create the best possible operating environment, which yeah. is, which does create safety. It does create the most productive, engaged, and my discretionary effort goes into my work if I love what I do. So the organisation is miles ahead if they create this environment. And then the person goes home happy to their family or children or partners. So the world's a better place if we can do it. So that's happy what work, I feel. Happy life, happy you family. Know. So, you know, and that, that doesn't mean it's easy, but it means, you know, I think if everyone, if everyone can take responsibility for themselves, that's the starting point. So know thyself, you know, and obviously that involves me, it involves everyone, but they model this behaviour. So I actually say very openly, take your mask off. We don't want just professional self. We want all of yourself because the truth is we all know when someone's triggered and when they're below the line, they have a different look on their face. You know, when you're driving a, a forklift and it can kill someone, you yes. can't have someone driving a forklift when they're below the line. Yes. Because so sort of yes, they might hurt someone themselves, but also a colleague and they would never forgive themselves. So it's, and that's why it sort of comes back to this idea that no one loses in this environment because I don't want someone to hurt themselves so they can't go home and play with their children, for example. I don't want someone to feel guilty about hurting a colleague because they didn't do something right because they had had a fight with their partner before That's they came right. to work. So it's sort of, so it's just humanising. And, you know, and when people adopt it, it's very hard for them to argue because this is not doing it to the workers. This is doing it to everyone. It's a bottom-up approach. That's the right. leader has to be responsible for being above the line as well. So That's they right. still need to have performance management conversations, which can be hard but not hostile towards the person, not, yes. not directed at their person. Directed it's about at the tone, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, they need, so managers need skills to manage themselves while also needing skills to manage other, you know, so. And that's what this podcast is called, <laughs> Manage Self, Lead Others. <laughs> so it's sort of, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's an emotional intelligence attribute to self-manage your own emotions. And I know myself. There are some days where I'm triggered to almost start to have a bad mood, but I've learned to notice that and go, Nina, don't put yourself in a bad mood. Just roll yourself back. Yeah. Life is an adventure. And if you apply, <laughs> if you apply absolutely. And if you apply that, Nina, to then the workplace, that's an amazing thing to happen because then what it means is that everyone is looking after you. So if I if I, so we, we use this phrase, intervening with care. So let's right. say that you come to the workplace and you're angry. I, we invite everyone to live these values and behaviours. And one of them is that we intervene with care. So we say, Nina, you're not having a very good time, are you? What do you need? And so the fact that someone sees you, because I, I have this very deep view that everyone just wants to be seen in life. You know, yeah. So if we create a workplace where people are seen, they then take responsibility for themselves. You know, like I was thinking, preparing for the, the for this conversation, you know, there was a, a fellow in a warehouse and he used to swear at everybody all the time. And he stopped swearing after six months of this safe care culture program. And no one asked him to stop swearing. And we all realised that because he did his mirror, he realised that people were offended by his swearing. And because we were in the care factor, he just stopped swearing at everyone. You know, it was like... 
it was amazing. So his whole life changed. And he, he may well have then gone home to his partner or family and treated his children differently because of it, just because we pre created that care factor in the workplace. And, you know, this workplace also became the most productive workplace. So it's not, it's not creating care for the sake of care. It's that that's how you're the most productive. That's how discretionary effort comes out. That's how engagement is at its higher. So it's this beautiful combination of all things. Wonderful Thank speaking you. with you today, Stephen. It's been a joy and a pleasure. And uh, I, everybody, get on board. Get us me, we. Um, what is it? From me to we, design and build collaborative workplaces and invite them to speak at your conference. This is a message that needs to go wide and far. So thank you for your time today, Stephen. Thanks, Nina. My guest today was Stephen Hanman, economist and chair of the board of the Dyson Group of Companies in Victoria, Australia, co-author of From Me to We, Design and Build Collaborative Workplaces, Stephen Hanman is known as the Trust Whisperer, facilitates teams to create a high-trust culture. Companion episode to this amazing episode about how to create a more collaborative work culture, I suggest that you listen to the uh, three episodes by Rod Collins, who is author of Nobody is Smarter Than Everybody. So his episodes are 88, 72 and 59. Then, of course, Listen to Dan Silverberg's From Linear to Quantum Thinking, episode 105. And of course, uh, this show couldn't happen without people uh, like Apex Trader Funding, who we partnered with uh, in a way that um, uh, as our sponsor to uh, uh, on their work on how to become a futures trader using uh, fund, funded trading. So thank you today for listening. Join the movement to make a workplace a better place to be. So thanks for listening. Till next time. Bye for now. Nina Sunday is on a mission to help leaders transform culture. To book Nina Sunday CSP to speak at your conference, visit ninasunday.com to request a proposal. Nina travels from Brisbane, Australia for in-person presentations Australia-wide. Twice certified virtual presenter, Nina Sunday presents virtually, globally, for any time zone. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.